Amen. As we mentioned, uh, we are delving deeper, revisiting a message that uh, I preached several years ago, Three Personalities of Apostasy. We've already preached several introductory messages. Um, we offered a biblical defense of judging. Uh, we also defined the gospel, praise God. And so we're going to continue today with another preliminary biblical truth, amen. We'll be reading two passages. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Now turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Our fourth introductory thought, the progression behind another gospel. The progression behind another gospel. And this will be part one. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We do need you. We're thankful for the precious blood of Jesus. We do plead the blood over body, soul, and spirit. I plead the blood over this local church. We're thankful, Lord, for thy word, Father. Thy word is true, and thy word is perfect and infallible. And we're thankful, Lord, that you have given us thy word, Father. We ask, Lord, that we would have ears to hear your word, Father God, that we would have a heart that is open and teachable, that we might be corrected by the word and led by the spirit. We ask you in the name of Jesus that we would be protected from another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. So our first observation from our text is the introduction here that Paul gives in his letter uh, to the Corinthian church in chapter 11. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And what we see here is basically the fundamental motive 
for pastoral ministry or for really any uh, pulpit ministry. Anyone called to preach, amen, this must be the burning, foundational, driving motivation for the glory of God. Somebody say amen. So at the heart of true discipleship, if we're talking about pastoral ministry, and the Apostle Paul planted this church, of course, he is an apostle, but he was a teaching and preaching elder, if you will, in that church, amen, and he is talking to a local uh, church, a local fellowship of believers, then the local church at the heart, amen, of the mission of the local church is true discipleship. And at the heart of true discipleship is this pure spiritual stimulus, this heavenly impulse and holy inspiration, this holy zeal, this burning passion, this driving jealousy, a relentless quest to present the body under his spiritual care as a chaste virgin to Christ. Amen. This has to be the motivation of the preacher. Amen. Nothing can get in the way, amen, of this driving motivation. Such a burden is never associated with a mere vocation. Amen. But it is a divine calling. And that's how you can tell many times, amen, the distinction between the hireling and that which is really called. Because him who is really called, amen, is zealous for the purity of the body. Amen. That is the paramount thing. This must be a holy body of believers. Granted, this spiritual priority can never be separated from the people, but ministry to the people so as to please and to glorify God, not to make people feel comfortable, God forbid, or the hope that people would stay happy and fulfilled, nor to simply serve for service sake, not to necessarily grow the church numerically, but to grow and mature the church spiritually. Amen. As we read this confession of the great apostle as preacher and teacher to the Corinthians, we're left with the impression this is nothing less than his highest priority. We see this also with the Apostle John as he echoed this same sentiment in 3 John 1 and 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so it is at the core of every true call to preach is this conditional covenant made with God. Above all, everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I teach, everything that I preach, everything I offer as an example must be to do the work of God and to present God's people as holy, as pure, and fully consecrated. Amen. Those who do not have that vision, those who do not want to submit to that vision, must be separated from the body. Amen. And if you don't like that, amen, if somehow, because that's going to cut against your flesh, and it's going to naturally cut against carnality, and it's going to attack, amen, viciously, amen, and very passionately any sin and any carnality. It is meant to drive out or to drive in, one or the other. When the pulpit is fueled and provoked by this motivation, as opposed to something other and less 
The atmosphere of the local church will be altogether focused, distinct, and free from humanism. There will be no man-centered ministry. But sadly, for the most part, this is not what we see today as the norm. Even in conservative circles, amen, when there is a lack of this holy zeal for purity, amen, when offering to Jesus anything less than what he deserves, when that becomes secondary, there is a noticeable lack. There is a feeding, a tendency to feed the goat at the expense of the sheep. Amen. When in fact the real ministry that is filled with the Holy Ghost and has Jesus as the pinnacle of all things seeks to starve the goat to death. To feed the sheep is to starve the goat. Amen. To give to the sheep what they appreciate and love and what builds them up will starve that goat to death. And rightly so. Either get in the altar and get right with God, get fully committed, or get out of here and get out of the way. That's the call of the man of God. We not only see this priority here in the Apostle Paul, but we also see it in the Gospels in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. John 2, 13 through 17. <coughs> And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. When he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. What was the root of this radical act by the Lord Jesus Christ, this cleansing of the temple? It was clearly motivated because of the zeal of the house of his God had eaten him up. And he was, above all things, protecting the interest of his father among his people. Again, this has to be the motivation of every pastor. Amen. This has to be the highest priority of every preacher. Amen. First and foremost, I am here to protect and the interest of God and to stand with the interest of God. So no one can rightly represent God in the ministry or otherwise without this heart zeal taking precedent. Moreover, as indicated by our text, the function of the local church, which is true discipleship, can never be fulfilled apart from a godly jealousy and a holy zeal for purity. If either I'm here with this same zeal of purity, amen, or I don't have that same zeal of purity that's driving my calling, or either you're here with this holy zeal for purity not driving your calling, then very little spiritual growth and advancement will be made. Well, why don't people like correction? Because they don't care about purity. That's all it is. It's not a priority. Their comfort 
They're happy in it. Whatever it may be. The reason they can't take correction is because they, amen, are not concerned about being conformed to the image of Christ. See, discipleship's not going to work unless we all have the driving same motivation. Amen? Very little spiritual growth and advancement will be made without this holy zeal for purity universal in the local church. But as we'll see, amen, what will happen if that's not among someone, individually or corporately, there's going to be decline. There's going to be a defiling. There's going to be a vulnerability to the lies of the enemy, deception. There's going to uh, uh, be place given to deception. You see, we're getting uh, ready to enter into a text that talks about another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel. See, this this precludes that we must have this holy passion, this holy zeal. And the apostle Paul had that, but the Corinthians lacked it. And that's why they had an ear ready to be tickled. There's only two choices. We will either be discipled or we will be deceived. (laughs) Amen? You get born again, you're either going to grow or the devil's coming and taking you out. One or the other. You're going to receive what God wants for you to receive. You're going to receive the truth and grow in Jesus or you're going to open yourself up to deception. One or the other. That's the only two choices that we have, but not both simultaneously. Understand there is no neutral ground with Jesus. We are either for or we are against him. Amen. We must be either hot or cold. God despises, amen, that lukewarm spirit. There is no spiritual plateauing that doesn't lose its momentum and ultimately its footing falling backwards. Amen. We're either going forward or we are sliding back. And as we know, there was a troubled history with the Corinthians of carnality. And that's an important thing to note. There's no other local church that was branded like the Corinthian church for its carnality. And don't you think, amen, that's a link to its vulnerability to deception. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3 and 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even unto babes in Christ. So the apostle, he's not, he's not chiding uh, new converts for being new converts. Do you understand? He, he's not chiding babes for being babes. No, he is chiding, amen, seasoned Christians for making little or no spiritual advancement, and so therefore they're culpable because they're refusing to walk in the light that they have been given. Thus, in the case of the Corinthians, carnality was equated with babyish Christianity, our refusal to take discipleship and to move forward. When we refuse to walk in the truth or the light that's been presented to us, Amen. We're not spiritual, but we are carnal. And we're giving place to carnality. In fact, we breed and cultivate carnality. See, when God puts you in a local church like this, then everything that's spoken across this pulpit, everything that God does 
via the iron sharpening iron and relationships, etc. and so forth. Every bit of valid life that you receive, God expects you to immediately conform to. Do you understand that? You know, if you want to make excuses, if you want to, you know, fall, uh, fall back and not do what God has shown you to do, if you're conscious, oh, there's lots of things that I've learned here, but I don't do it, you are giving place to the devil, and you are giving glory to the flesh, and you are really in rebellion against God, which is carnality. God expects you immediately to conform to the light. Yes, judge. Is this scriptural or is it not scriptural? If it's scriptural, hey, sister, did you hear that? Hey, children, did you hear that? We're going to do it from this point forward. That's what God expects. Amen? You understand? And if you don't, if you don't live like that, you reject discipleship. Amen? When we refuse to walk in the truth, the life that's been presented to us, we're not spiritual, but we're carnal. Amen? We need to grow, amen, and, and God wants us to grow, and we need to understand that. But we also need to realize it's dangerous to refuse to grow, amen? It's not an option, you know, that I can take six steps or I can take three. No, if God says these are six steps, you got to take all six. Now, as we've often pointed out, it's impossible to teach or to correct to disciple carnality. It cannot be reformed. You can't teach it. It's, it's utter futility. Why is that? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You're not going to teach that carnal individual. Any bit of carnality is absolutely unreasonable. The more a spiritual a man is, the easier it is to disciple him. So, you know, some people are a joy to teach. They're, they're never a problem. And that's what spiritual people would be. They, they won't be a problem. They'll, they'll just naturally do. They'll take hold. Uh, you're not going to have to wrangle with them and argue with them about things. Hey, but you just present the truth as the Bible teaches, and they will conform. Hey, Amen. such a blessing to have spiritual people that hear the word of God. But when men are carnal, amen, they will not fully come under. They will not fully submit. Amen, they refuse to be taught. They're difficult. They're unreasonable. They don't think with the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Things are obscured from them. They don't see exactly right. It's very difficult, amen, to try to get them to take hold of truth. Hence, it's all spiritual futility and frustration. Nothing but disappointment. Nothing but a battle and a fight when you're dealing with people, amen, that settle into being carnal. That's why it says in Hebrews 13 and 17, obey them that have the rule of you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. So the Bible here, as we, y'all probably think this is our favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> obey them. So the obedience demanded here is not about fulfilling some personal duty to spiritual leaders. 
It's not about acquiescing to some personal whims of the pulpit. Amen. Do you understand? That's not like get, oh, get Brother Britt an iced tea. That's not, I don't want you to do that for me. Do you understand? You know, that, that's not what this is talking about. All this is talking about is biblical discipleship, receiving, amen, from the pulpit what saith the word of God. That's all it has to do with. And any spiritual leader loves people that will hear what saith the word of God. Not about, and that people get all, you know, nervous about obeying them that have the rule as if, you know, there's some, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, catering to the personal whims, etc., and so forth of leaders. That's not what that means at all. We don't believe that, and we ain't teaching that. Amen. All I'm worried about is if you obey the Bible. Yes, sir. Come on. The carnal are never consistently committed. People must be fully committed before they can be truly discipled. You understand that? Can't have a business if people don't even show up, right? Right, right? Okay, you know, if you don't show up for your classes at LSU to learn engineering, you're not going to become an engineer. No sense in giving you some sort of, you know, job to do as an engineer. You're not even showing up to be taught. There has to be commitment, amen, for people to be disciples. And this is the reason that the most basic elements of Christian commitment have to always be preached and taught and re-preached and retaught. Could you just be faithful to the scheduled assemblies? Amen? Just, you know, there are people here that never need to hear that again because they're going to be here. They drag their dead carcass in here. Amen, they ain't going to be. And again, there are some legitimate reasons why. Amen, you could not be here. But most of the time, spiritual people, they're, 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 they're going to be here anyway because they realize they, they're like the Apostle Paul. There is a zeal for purity and faithfulness, not to the pulpit, but to God. I must be there because he's there. Could you show up for the schedule of Just please. Could you, you think you could come to the prayer meetings? Could, could you pray when you're at the prayer meetings? Could you, could you find your place? Could you be involved in the outreaches? Could you faithfully pay your tithes, et cetera? And so listen to me, these things right here, the spiritual man gets that right from step one. That's something, you know, a new believer learns in the first few months. And then they practice that and they don't fall away from it. But it's an amazing thing to watch. How you have to just continually plead with people. You're going nowhere if you're not as committed as I am to this body. You're going nowhere. You're not going to be decided. You're going to waste your time and waste God's time, and you're going to end up having a hard heart anyway. Amen? As I mentioned, carnality is equated with culpable Christian immaturity. And the natural, think about it, you know, babies, they demand a lot of attention. You can't leave a baby or an infant unattended. If you don't constantly check on that baby, they're going to end up in all sorts of mischief, even danger. 
You leave that toddler, leave him in the living room in the kitchen for three hours alone. Huh? He may have painted the whole house. Found that paint can under the under the under the sink. Or we just covered with it, been digging in flour. Have flour everywhere. Amen. Or he could have ate rat poison laying there dead. He's going to get in a lot of trouble. He's not going to end up doing anything profitable, probably. You're not going to come in and find that one and a half year old memorizing Psalms 119. No, no. He's going to be up to something, amen, that's probably going to be dangerous. So granted, when children are infants, they require special focus. But to the degree that they grow up and mature, they should need less and less oversight. So it is with many in the church. When they're new believers, God's spirit will grant them special care. And when you have new converts, that's what, it's not something you just say, we're going to do. The, the Holy Ghost will do that if people, people are sensitive. They're going to be checking up. You know, Preston came in here. He was a new believer. Lots of attention. Amen. Went Preston's way. Amen. But as the Holy Ghost begins to prod individuals forward, as he does with everybody, Weaning them from all the attention, amen, many people can become offended and rebel and then become stagnant, amen. Listen to me. The Spirit of God is not going to make you the center of attention your whole life. It's not going to happen, amen. He's going to teach you to make Jesus the center of your attention. But if you got that wrong, amen, then the experience of the local church is going to be difficult for you. Consider Psalms 23, verses 1 through 3. And I believe what we read here is basically a reflection of the believer experiencing the local church as one thing, amen. It, of course, means other things. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. Maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, if that's not your experience here at Consuming Fire Fellowship, you're either out of the will of God, amen, you're in the wrong local church, or you are carnal and you're resisting the ministry God has called you to submit to. You know, when I think back on the three churches that I was in, that was my experience. I was, I was there to learn. I was there to lap up everything that I could receive from God. Amen. I, I didn't have my brain turned off. Amen. And I, I was paying attention uh, to what was being preached, and I was judging that by the word of God. And that was the main thing. How is the leadership? How, what is their example like? Are they living holy and separated? Are they preaching the truth, etc., and so forth? You know, I saw, yes, I looked over here and there and yonder. I saw, I was aware when people, amen, were less than Christian in their uh, testimony. And when I say that, I don't mean, you know, gross uh, sin that wasn't dealt with. That would be something to be concerned about, amen? But I saw people at different levels 
of spiritual maturity. Amen. But I wasn't worried about whether someone greeted me. Amen. Or when somebody shook my hand. Amen. Or whether, you know, someone liked me or didn't like me. Amen. I can't control whether you like me. I got to love you. That's what I can control. And that's what I'm going to concentrate on. Amen. But that carnal person, they kind of, they're so thin-skinned and so petty. Amen. They're always nursing how someone wounded them. Because of the lack of the cross. You know, if you want to grow, you can, two people can be in the same place. One spiritual, the other carnal. And one's experience will be just like this. And the other be nothing but warfare. Because it's that carnal nature. It can never be content. It can never be happy. Never plead. You put it anywhere. Put it in heaven. It'll tear up heaven. With the carnal, there's always distracting drama. They can't focus on Jesus. They're too distracted with themselves and everybody else. You look across the congregation, and I see this all the time right here. Amen. You see people with a war taking place in their mind and in their heart. You can see there's a distraction, there's uneasiness, there's the lack of joy, there's the lack of peace. They can't concentrate on growing in Jesus. They can't concentrate on hearing what God is saying because they're so fleshly. They can't get their mind off how they've been wounded or slighted by someone across the aisle. They have little joy. Amen. Perhaps they may have a contrived surface religious face that they put on when they come, amen, to the house of God. But if there was a 24-hour surveillance camera and especially a digital recorder in their mind, there is nothing but the lack of peace. Constantly all this warfare, accusations, uneasiness, unhappiness. If you're unhappy, you're unholy. I said, if you're unhappy, you are unholy. Instead of bracing the cross, allowing God's spirit to brutally crucify the fleshly, filthy foolishness, they try to reform themselves. This is not always conscious. But people that try to save their life, they're losing it. And it's a miserable existence, amen? They try to control their runaway emotions and perceptions from without. Instead of admitting how petty and wicked they are and embracing the cross. And as long as the old man remains, frustration only mounts. They try turning left. Only then they find they have to swing back all the way to the right, back and forth up and down, all the way south, then up to the north. No peace for the wicked. Such men cannot be pleased. They're often ultra-thin skinned, petty, egocentric in the extreme, and they're usually utterly miserable. You know, I brought up not long ago how we bring up these extreme examples of how churches split because the color of the carpet, or someone didn't shake someone's hand, or say hello. 
And you, and you really, you, like people like that surely don't exist. They exist in here. Let me tell you something. Just imagine me taking about six or seven hours and conjuring up every single adjective that I could out of the dictionary to describe just how petty, childish that is. You get offended because somebody don't say hi to you. You're a dog among dogs. No pity should be none. That is vile and wicked, evil and petty and carnal. That's what that is. You know, psychology is witchcraft. Uh, Amen. All psychology is witchcraft. None of it's valid. Completely a humanistic lie. And also that, you know, know, Christian psychobabble. I'm a Christian psychologist. No, you're a devil is what you are. There's this thing as a Christian psychologist. Utter nonsense. And, you know, when I first got born again, there, there was that. But it was only in the most liberal, the most apostate churches. But now, recently... You've seen the acceptance of psychology even in the most conservative churches where they are endorsing, uh, you know, like depression. There's no disease of depression. None. I'm bipolar. No, you're demon possessed. You ever, you just, study that? There's no, there's no physiological pathology for any of it. I have a chemical imbalance. No, you don't. There's no such thing as that. They have no test for that. They're just exploiting people. Nothing but a complete lie. So now in these holiness churches, not long ago, I saw people, amen, on Facebook, holiness people endorsing anti-psychotic drugs. Amen. Can you listen to me? That stuff is evil and dangerous. You might as well do cocaine. You feeling kind of sad? Do a little cocaine, you get happy. Ain't the problem. That ain't going to solve nothing. It's only going to make it worse. I hold this preacher. He believed you could live free from sin, but then he told me he was. He got so angry with me because I put something up about there's no such thing as depression. He said he struggled with depression. I said, you believe that God can set you free from sin, but he can't set you free from depression? He blocked me. (laughs) ADD. No such thing as that. DDD. Discipline deficiency disorder. But, you know, I'm making this point because this shows the difference in pulpit motivations. Are we going to have a pure body? Amen? Listen to me. The body, Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye if ye 
do them. You say, I'm, I'm unhappy. And it's because you're wicked. Because you won't obey. Because you won't obey. You're unhappy because you won't obey the Bible. You obey the Bible, you're going to be happy. Amen? And really, God is more concerned about your holiness anyway. But holiness is the venue for true happiness, true contentment. But you see, when people have this motivation, then they just look for any answer to try to help someone. Amen? People are unhappy because they refuse to do what they know to do, and they refuse to walk in the light that they have. Such people, listen to me, Jesus wants that person to get in this altar to repent, amen, and to turn around and start obeying God or get out. Amen. amen. You see, that seems cruel. You, the modern church is just be nice. Oh, you're unhappy? <laughs> what can we do to make you happy? The real church ignores that except preaches the word of God. That's the answer to everything. Not taking some drug from some witch doctor. We've had our share of carnal people here. Were there people that fell into carnality? Or they came to the point where they refused to advance. And the results are the same. I've had people for years here that have not taken one step in the spirit. And God is being long-suffering and merciful, and there are others, amen, where that mercy, that long-suffering came to a deadline, amen, but people that will go round and round the same mountain but never move Ultimately, they begin to slowly decline because they're carnal. Because you can sit under the teaching of the Lord Jesus like Judas did. Amen. And that ministry, damn you, instead of save you. If anything, the ministry of the church, if people reject it, instead of enhancing their walk, will only harden their heart. Ultimately, as the pattern of our text reveals Deception is going to come in for such people. Do you understand? Amen. If you, if you refuse to be discipled, well, I don't agree with everything here. Get out of here. Amen. If you don't, I don't agree with everything. Then leave. I'm not going to try to talk you into staying. Amen. But why, why be hard between two opinions? It's the whole, you know, the spirit of I agree, but I won't do. It's simple, simple things. Amen. Communicate it over and over again. Just simply do what the Bible tells you to do and what's being preached. You say, well, I don't agree that's the Bible. Then leave. But don't just stay here. Be stuck in the mud. Why do that? Why hinder the body? Somebody say amen. amen. And I don't want anybody to leave. I'm not saying that. I, 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 but if you're not going to be discipled, then I don't want you to stay. Amen. And neither does God. And so we see some at Corinth were in great danger of being deceived by the false teachers and accepting a distorted message about Jesus. And so in this first point, we're basically acknowledging, amen, that Corinthian church, because it was riddled with carnality, that that contributed to their vulnerability. 
Amen. So number one, don't be carnal. Amen. Commit yourself fully to the local church. Deny yourself. Amen. Do the simple, the first things. Press in to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is the first step in being protected from the lies. Number two, the satanic method against the Apostle Paul's spirit and his method of teaching, amen, and this spirit of purity, amen, is a satanic beguiling. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted. So beguile there means to seduce holy and to deceive. And subtlety means cunning craftiness, trickery, skillful in presenting fallacious arguments to seduce and delude. So the Apostle Paul appeals to the deception in the garden as the pattern for satanic corruption. So he's warning us, this is how the devil's going to come. Just go back to Genesis chapter 3 and read it the way that he, uh, you know, beguiled Eve. That's going to be the first thing that he's going to attempt. And more times than not, amen, that works, amen. People are open to it, especially carnal people. Obviously, the apostle is speaking of, hath God said, and ye shall not surely die. And these two lies Satan peddled in the garden, these are what I like to refer to as the two great lies of imperfection. And I believe that this is really at the root of all apostasy. This is because the end of these lies leads us to the false conclusions that number one, no one can live above sin, even under grace, and that sin doesn't separate us from God. And number two, there is no perfectly preserved Bible that we can trust. Nonetheless, these two lies are presented in an array, in an array of seed form deceptions that are less developed and more simplistic. Essentially, the greatest attacks of deception centered around an altering or twisting of the scriptures and an undermining of the fear of God regarding sin. Amen. For example, and you know, I'll bring this up as in, in this case, both of these things are involved. So recently we have been uh, watching, you know, a certain group of people that are teaching an imputed obedience. Uh, they're making statements like anyone who yokes justification with works is guilty of promoting a work-based salvation. So what they do is they tend to pit the word against the word. And, you know, we've talked about this several times recently about hermeneutics or the basic principles of interpreting Scripture. So when our precept is, this is so, so important. Because really, you don't, you don't have to be a Bible theologian. All you have to do is have a right spirit toward the Word of God. And you can understand it. It, it is not hard to understand, amen, if you're really submitted to God. But if you, if you pit one thing against another, see, everything, there's no contradictions in the Scriptures. They have to harmonize. So I take the whole of the counsel of God. So I know that I have Paul that says, 
amen, that, uh, you know, we are justified, justified by faith. Amen. Now, he is pointing back as far as uh, imputed righteousness. He points back to Abraham as an example. He is addressing the Judaizers who are suggesting or asserting that we are justified by works. So he goes to Abraham, who is the prototype, the patriarch of faith. Amen. 400 years before there was the law, amen, or the law was revealed to man, and he reveals that Abraham was justified. By faith, amen? And so then we have the book of James, amen? And if you read James chapter two, verse 20 through the end of that chapter, talks about being justified by works. Is there a contradiction? If you read through that passage, you understand I'm not gonna get into that right now. I'm just you know, pointing out that this idea pits one against the other, these two ideas, justification by faith, Justification by works. We are justified by faith, but how do we define that faith? James gives us qualifies. James is a divine writing. James is the word of God, is scripture. And what Paul wrote is divine and inspired and is scripture. But James gives us a fuller understanding of the faith that justifies. And we understand by reading that, amen, that we're not justified by works, but works, or rather the faith that justifies, is a working faith. Amen. Any faith that justifies will be obedient. An unobedient faith, a faith that does not work, cannot justify. Anybody, and in fact, the statement that this preacher made, anybody who yokes, and that's the first thing when I heard him say that, works with justification is promoting a works-based salvation, I thought, oh, so you're condemning God now from the book of James because that's what that would mean. I'll say this, anybody who divides true good works and holiness from uh, faith uh, is a heretic. So, you know, what they're saying, it has a draw and a truth and, but it's a lie. And if you get settled and established, you won't hear those lies. When these areas are not cautiously and carefully biblically maintained, deception has found a place. In other words, I'm not hearing anything that ain't perfectly scriptural. And anything that wants to make me feel comfortable in sin I know that's the devil. I don't care what they say. Oh, but if you're carnal, you'll have an ear for that. As the apostle warned, it's not typically going to be obvious. It's not always going to be glaring. Most of the time it won't. But rather it will be beguiling. It will be subtle. It will be crafty. This is why for the spiritually discerning, the slightest departure from sound doctrine or the smallest sympathy towards sin triggers the spiritual alarms. You know, I saw a professional uh, pickpocketer, you know, one of those people that can just take your pocket, your wallet out of your pocket. And uh, I saw him, he, he's really just a trained, and he was explaining how he does this, but he's essentially just a trained magician, amen. Everything that he was doing was by sleight of hand. In other words, it was subtle, 
and it was beguiling. I mean, he walked up to these three men, and he told them, I'm a pickpocketer, and I'm getting ready to take your watches, and I'm going to take, well, he didn't tell them the watches. He said, I'm going to take, you, take your wallet. Don't tell me where your wallet is. He asked them, is, some, is all your wallets, you know, behind you, in front of you, and, and some of them had a coat on. And so he said, I'm just going to approach you like I would a man on the street. So he you know, offered, shook a hand, blah, 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 and he took their pins. He took their, he had all three watches on his wrist. Had taken their watches off, and they didn't know it. Well, they weren't paying attention, you see. And they ran it back. And I was, he told us, I'm watching this too. I didn't see it. But then they said, now watch. And they slowed everything down and re-ran everything. And you could see just very subtly, very craftily, he was removing things and reaching in and what have you. Just very good at it. You see, if you know you're watching a magician, you've got to pay very close attention, amen? And so, again, you train yourself. You know, I'm, as, a, as a Christian, as a mature believer, long time ago, there's boundaries, Roger. I'm not going to listen to somebody. And, and that's why when people hear me sometimes, I'm just like, I don't care. I'm not listening to you. Because I know that's a lie. I don't, I don't need to hear any else, anything else. That's a lie. And I'm not listening to it. not opening myself up to it. I'm not going to let you minister that to me. No, shut up. You got to get to that place. Amen. And so, you know, I was listening to another uh, testimony uh, yesterday. It just popped up, you know, in my, I had, I had looked at some testimonies of people. And because of that, you know, that comes up in your feed or in your, uh, um, uh, yeah, your, you know, your feed in the Facebook. And there was a testimony there about this guy that was a drug addict in Alabama. And I, I started listening to it. He seemed very sincere. He, he seemed very excited and he was broken. And he talked about he was a drug addict and he had had, a, uh, he was an atheist, and his father was an atheist. He gr- grew up as an atheist. Uh, he, you know, didn't even har- know anything about the Bible. And uh, he overdosed uh, on drugs and, and fell out on the street and then got ran over. And he was in terrible condition. They brought him to the hospital. And they were telling him he, he might not die. His kidneys were shutting down, his liver, et cetera, and so forth. He's in a bad, bad situation. So he was just laying in the hospital bed, and he was in there one day alone. And he said, all of a sudden, he looked at the wall, and there's just this light appeared. And the light came to his bed. And then out of that light, he saw a figure, and he recognized it as Jesus. And he, he talked about, you know, Jesus being so it was so loving, et cetera, and so forth. And then he said, Jesus came over and sat on the floor next to him. And then the wall opened up, and there was water. And he said, he quoted that scripture about living water, whosoever will. And so... Then it went away. Well, he, he was, you know, like uh, sedated or whatever, and he fell asleep. And he said, this was not, you know, my imagination or something. In my, this was something I saw with my eyes. But I was sedated, and I fell back to sleep. Well, he said, it was several hours later. I woke up, and all the nurses and the doctors came in, and they said, we don't know what's going on. You're totally, you're, like, all your organs are like regenerated. I mean, you're just totally, there's nothing wrong with you. We don't know what's happened. Or, and he didn't tell them because he was, you know, nervous and didn't really understand everything. And he said, I didn't say anything to him. I, th- I thought they would put me in the, you know, mental ward or whatever. And uh, so he said he called his father and his father well, lived two hours away and asked if his father could come pick him up. Well, he didn't know his father had gotten born again like a week before this. 
And so when his father picked him up, they had this discussion, and et cetera, and so forth. But from that, and it was a very convincing testimony. He seemed, he quoted a lot of scripture, but he had this vision. But then all of a sudden, he started talking, undercutting holiness, undercutting, uh, you know, repentance, et cetera, and so forth. Amen. Well, most people, you know, because it's so emotionally moving, people open themselves. I don't care what that guy says. I don't know what he saw. I don't care. But what he said wasn't true, and I'm not listening to it. Amen. And this is where people have to learn to be basically matured in the things of God. Obviously, discipleship, among other things, via the local church, is God's ordained means to establish and stabilize believers in the faith. And we read that in Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, where we have uh, the fivefold ministry that's basically outlined. And it says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Well, people will say, I, I don't need the church. Well, yeah, you do. If you're going to grow up, <laughs> if you're going to be, yeah, you do. And if you're not, you know what's going to happen? If you don't get discipled according to this verse, amen, then you're going to have the tendency to be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. There is something spiritual that takes place when people submit to the word of God. So only through, now I would agree if there's someone who there's no church, there's no way they can get to a church, they're locked in prison, amen, something like that, I believe God, there would be exceptions, God would give grace. But when people just refuse to find the place that God wants them, and then if they go there and they refuse and stiff arm the dealing of the Holy Ghost with the human vessel of the church, then they are going to remain immature and babyish no matter what they say. No matter how they try to talk like they're big boys and big girls in Jesus, they're going to be in diapers in the spirit. We also need to understand the deception is not merely a matter of the intellect, but far more about the condition of the heart. 1 Timothy 4 and 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So when we talk about satanic deception, there are two critical techniques the enemy employs. There is the attacking of sound doctrine and a replacement or counterfeit that the Bible calls doctrines of devils, amen? But there's also seducing spirits when someone is seduced. And when you think about seduction, amen, you don't think about an intellectual era, amen? You talk, it's something that is appealing, drawing, luring, Someone, there's something there that's being appealed to, and that is the flesh. So often, this is why the enemy, when he comes to sift, the spiritual warfare is not just intellectual. Is A true or is B true? No, no, that's not what it's usually about. Amen. The darkness, the sifting, the confusion, the oppression. 
It's something you can feel, amen? And it's an attack on the believer's stand in righteousness, amen? We read Galatians chapter one. And there it says, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That Greek word means to stir, to agitate, to cause inward commotion, to take away confidence and calmness of mind, to disturb composure and disquiet, to shake one's spirit with fear and dread, to render anxious or distressed, to perplex with doubts. Do you see how that's more than intellectual? That's more than imputed righteousness or imparted righteousness. Is that uh, imputed obedience? It's, it's not just that. Amen. There's a spirit that comes to seduce and to draw. A seducing spirit will lure, will attempt, amen, or will tempt the believer to escape the warfare by abandoning their stand. Amen. To satisfy this warfare, this intense attack. I'm getting tired of this. All you have to do, amen, is go the way of the tempter and the warfare will lift. That's why many people, uh, you know, they believe they've been liberated when they've been brought into bondage because they refuse to stand against the enemy. There's going to be a swirling warfare. The Bible says resist the devil. Ultimately, he's going to flee, but that's the only thing you can do is resist. Stand on the word of God. I will not be moved. To grow, to mature, and to be established in the faith solidifies the believer against this sort of warfare so that he can stand. That's why Jesus said those that hear the word of God, he likened it. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded. Upon a rock. Amen. We're going to stop right here. We're going to continue. Amen. As we move ahead, would you stand? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for truth. We thank you, Lord God, for thy word. We thank you, Lord God, for thy spirit. Father, let us abide under your spirit. Let us be governed by the word of God. Let us know Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Let us be fully committed. Let us, like the Apostle Paul, have a zeal for purity and holiness for ourselves, for this local assembly, that we would all find our place, that we would give ourselves fully consecrated unto the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can have your way with us both individually and collectively. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Everyone say amen. Amen. We're going to continue on this next week. God bless you. Give him a hand clap of praise. Tonight, 6 o'clock, we gather and pray. Amen. Come ready to seek the Lord. Amen. You are dismissed. We will see you this evening.